Hey, how's everybody doing? Hotep, everybody. This is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. We're live. It's 1.46 a.m. Tuesday morning, April 4th, 2017. How's everybody doing? Uh, back from my trip from Baltimore. I wanted to broadcast earlier, but I was tied up. So, a few things I want to talk about this evening. You have this story. We remember Officer. We remember Terrence Crutcher, the African American man who was uh, shot and killed in uh, Oklahoma uh, last year. And it was on the uh, his car stalled on the road, and uh, we saw he was shot and killed. Officers were on the scene, right? Well. Um, Betty Shelby was the officer who shot and killed him. And she was interviewed this past Sunday on 60 Minutes. Okay? And in an interview, she said that uh, she basically blamed Terrence Crutcher for his own death. She basically blamed Terrence Crutcher for his own death. We're going to talk about that. Then also... Uh, we have a live webinar I'm doing coming up this uh, this Thursday, April 6th. Um, Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in school. It's a uh, eight-hour webinar. It's uh, broken up into four sessions. We'll talk about that uh, some uh, tonight. And then also, uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, Black Lives Matter activists are now focusing, they're shifting focus towards state legislatures to influence laws at a state level uh, as opposed to just focusing on a, uh, as opposed to just focusing on federal law because a lot of the laws that they are protesting against are laws made at the state level and not at the federal level. Now, both are important, but a lot of things that they are focused on, you're dealing with state legislatures, you're dealing with uh, the governors as opposed to uh, the president, okay? So we'll talk about that some. And then um, Tina Fey, we, we, we know Tina Fey from Saturday Night Live, and we all remember Tina Fey portraying Sarah Palin on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live as well. Well, Tina Fey has called out white women who voted for Donald Trump and said you can't look away. You can't look away. We'll talk about that as well because that's a, a very good critical analysis. And uh, the white women who voted for Donald Trump need to be called out. Uh, we looked at his budget proposal. Uh, we looked at the gutting of Planned Parenthood. Uh, we look at a lot of his policies. We see these are detrimental to a lot of the people who supported him, a lot of uh, not just college-educated uh, people, but also uh, poor whites living in rural communities, etc. Okay. All right. So uh, Deidre uh, Meister, I think it's Meister, uh, said, "Love your show." All right, Deidre. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And you all can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we have a lot of information there. All my DVD lectures are there as well. Uh, I made it back from Baltimore this uh, evening. I got, got back home, I think it was around 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. I got back home. I was at the uh, 16th Annual Baltimore Natural Hair Care Expo. I missed the first day of it. That cost me a lot of money. 
uh, missing the first day. I couldn't get a flight out of Detroit because I was, I was a vendor there. So uh, I saw a lot of uh, my listeners yesterday. Saw Dr. Leila Africa. Saw Bernadette Stannis. Thought that was a good time. She had a vendor booth there. I wanted to interview her. She wanted me to interview her, but um, I ain't have enough time. So I got to set up an interview with her. I've interviewed her twice before. Um, okay, Davia, Alicia Bedward said, hope you had a good trip. It was all right. Um, Albert Cutright, good evening. Uh, Elena, how you doing? Okay. All right, so let's get to this first story, right? So... I covered the story of um, Terrence Crutcher, the killing of Terrence Crutcher. We covered that a lot last year, right? And you can go back and listen to the podcast, podcast episodes of our show, the audio podcast, go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com on the homepage, click on the link, read, uh, uh, listen to podcasts of the Michael M. Hotep show. All right, so uh, Betty Shelby is the, is the name of the white female officer who shot and killed Terrence Crutcher, right? Um, and she she's saying that Terrence Crutcher was responsible for the fatal incident that unfolded that day. Now, in a recent interview with CBS's 60 Minutes, uh, Officer Betty Shelby says she used lethal force out of out of fear that the 40-year-old African-American man was reaching inside his SUV for a gun. Betty Shelby contended Terrence Crutcher's race had nothing to do with her decision to pull the trigger, however. She said, quote, I'm feeling that his intent is to do me harm, and I keep thinking, quote, don't do this, please don't do this, don't make this happen, okay? And she was interviewed by Bill Whitaker on 60 Minutes. It uh, aired uh, April 2nd, which was uh, Sunday. Now, Betty Shelby recalled the moment she saw Terrence Crutcher reach inside his vehicle which had stalled in the middle of a busy roadway. Uh, Shelby said the, man, the, the man's attempts to reach in his car would have been a clear indicator to any officer that he might be reaching for a weapon. <clears throat> she said, uh, I say, uh, uh, she said, quote, I say with a louder, more intense voice, stop, 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 and he didn't, uh, she said, and that's when I took aim and shot him, end quote. So here's now her attorney at the time, because I remember this case very well. Her attorney at the time says she's never been that scared in her life, right? Okay, there are a couple problems with her story here. Number one, photos show that Terrence Crutcher's window was rolled up because there was blood splattered on the window, the, the, the driver's side window. There was blood splattered on the window, okay, which means that the window was rolled up at the time he was shot. Okay, so he couldn't reach into the car. The door was closed because they said, um, actually, if you go back and, and, and what, read some of the uh, stories, they said, oh, they thought he was going to reach into the window. Windows rolled up. So that's lie number one. Number two, her attorney said that she had never been that scared in her life. Really? Okay, so there were three other officers on the scene with her. None of those other officers fired their gun. One fired his taser. She fired her gun one time. And this is supposed to be the scariest she's ever been in her life. If this is the scariest you've ever been in your life, you would have shot more than one time. 
I mean, logically, this is scariest you've ever been in your life. You were shot more than one time. You fired once. You're there with three other male officers. None of them felt threatened enough to fire their gun. So, I mean, her, her, her argument doesn't hold water. Her argument doesn't make sense. She went on to say in the 60 Minutes interview, quote, I have sorrow that this happened, that this man lost his life that this man lost his life but he caused the situation to occur so in the end he caused his own death this is what she said in the interview on 60 minutes right so if you if you look at the uh you know I, i've talked about this before uh huffingtonpost.com has an article um it's uh when um white suspects are treated better than black victims when, when the media treats white suspects better than black victims okay uh, I'm pulling up the article now uh, when the media treats white suspects and killers better than black victims okay and in the in the article what they do is they, they look at uh, newspaper articles from across the country and they look at the headlines and oftentimes what you find is that when the victim is African-American, they are oftentimes blamed for their own killing or and, and, their, and their background is looked into and they say, oh, well, this person was in prison, in and out of prison for the last 15 years. This person was on drug for, drugs for 20 years, things like this. And it seems like they try to find something to justify this person being killed. When there's someone white who is a killer, the, the white control media oftentimes goes out of their way to show how this was so much out of, out of their character, how this was such a surprise that they went and killed people, okay? So one of the headlines they have here is that theater, theater shooting suspect was brilliant student. It was brilliant science student. Theater shooting suspect was brilliant science student. They showed the a picture of this killer with a suit and tie on. When you look at uh, Ferguson, Missouri, Michael Brown, a lot of the pictures they were circulating of Michael Brown was not with his cap and gown on when he graduated from high school, but it's, it's him wearing a Nike Air tank top throwing up a peace sign something like this right uh, the headline for uh, Michael Brown police Michael Brown struggled with officer before shooting okay it's, read this article from Huffington Post black voices because this deals with white supremacy and racism alright when the media treats white suspects and killers better than black victims this is from uh, August 14 2014 by Nick Wayne W-I-N-G and in the article it says, on the afternoon of August 9th, uh, uh, a police officer fatally shot an unarmed black teenager, Michael Brown, in Ferguson, Missouri. Details remain in dispute. Eyewitnesses have said that uh, Brown was compliant with, uh, let me see, let me, let me go, let me fast forward. Through. Okay, after news of Brown's death broke, media watchers carefully followed the narratives that news outlets began crafting about the teenager and the incident that claimed his life. Wary of the controversy surrounding the media's depiction of Trayvon Martin, 
the Florida, uh, it's Trayvon Martin. People on Twitter wondered, quote, if they gunned me down, which picture would they use? Using the hashtag, if they gunned me down, users posted side-by-side -side photos demonstrating the power that news outlets wield in portraying victims based on images they select. On Monday, Twitter user Lord uh, SWVP tweeted out a photo driving home another point. Media treatment of black victims is often harsher than it is of whites suspected of crimes, including murder. Okay, so you go through and, 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 and look at uh, uh, the different um, uh, news headlines. Alabama, uh, this is a white suspect. Alabama suspect brilliant but social misfit. Okay, Alabama suspect brilliant but social misfit. Okay, that's how the Lubbock Avalanche Journal chose to present the story of Amy Bishop, a former college professor who eventually pleaded guilty to killing three colleagues and wounding three others at a faculty meeting in 2010. Okay, she was brilliant but a social misfit. Okay, this is somebody who, this is somebody who killed three people. Now, when you have an African-American victim, okay, Montgomery's latest homicide victim had history of, no, of narcotics abuse tangles with the law. So when you put this in a, a, a headline, it's, 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 it's almost saying like, well, because of their lifestyle, you expect them to be killed, okay? Oh, because they had tangles with the law in the past, maybe they had a tangle with the law this time, that's why they're dead. Okay, now this was a headline from Alabama.com, AL.com. They ran this story about the shooting death of a 25-year-old African-American man in Alabama in, in, in uh, 2014. Here's a headline for, about a white suspect. Son in Staten Island murders was brilliant, athletic, but his demons were the death of parents. His demons were the death of parents. Now, this is how the Staten Island Advance covered the case of Eric uh, Belushi, a mentally ill New York man who allegedly killed his parents. So, you see this pattern over and over again. You see white suspects oftentimes treated better in the media than African American victims. Okay? Then you look at the story here with Betty Shelby, who shot and killed Terrence Crutcher. Her attorney said that she's never been discovered in her life. She fired only one shot. She's there on the scene with three other officers. None of the other officers even put none, none of the other officers fired their gun. Okay? And then in the interview with 60 Minutes, she's blaming Terrence Crutcher for his own death. She said, I have sorrow that this happened, that this man lost his life, but he caused the situation to occur. So in the end, he caused his own death. This is what she said. Now, Betty Shelby says she remembers the moment she pulled the trigger as she watched Terrence Crutcher stop and then slowly fall to the ground. No weapon was ever recovered on Terrence Crutcher's person nor in his car. Now, the Oklahoma man's death sparked nationwide protests as hundreds of frustrated citizens took to the streets to voice anger over the string of African-American men and women killed by police. You have Baton Rouge, uh, Baton Rouge, Alton Sterling. You have Philando, Philando Castile in Minnesota. 
uh, who was a beloved school cafeteria supervisor in Falcon, Falcon Heights, Minnesota. Uh, they were both gunned down by law enforcement in the months before Terrence Crutcher's death. Now, Betty Shelby has since pleaded not guilty to first-degree uh, manslaughter and is set to appear for trial uh, May 8th, according to uh, the Associated Press reporting. So that's next month. Now, prosecutors argue that the officer overreacted during her encounter with Terrence Crutcher, Crutcher pointing out the fact that he was unarmed, non-combative, and obeyed her orders to raise his hands. Now, footage of the shooting captured from both a helicopter and police dash cam showed Terrence Crutcher walking away from Officer Betty Shelby with his hands in the air. Now, during the interview on 60 Minutes, Betty Shelby told Bill Whitaker, who was interviewing her, she feels she has been mistreated and painted as the enemy since the shooting. Really, imagine that. She's, now, this is what she said. She said, quote, my situation was no different than a lynch mob coming after me, end quote. Now, when you use the term lynch mob, and you have an African-American man that's dead, lynch mob has a racial connotation. A lynch mob has a racial connotation because there were hundreds of African-American men who were killed unjustly by lynch mob. She said, quote, I never wanted to kill anyone. I saw a threat and I used the force I felt necessary to stop a threat, end quote. Well, you use poor judgment. You use poor judgment, you should not be a police officer. Now, Terrence Crutcher's twin sister, her name is Tiffany, was also interviewed by 60 Minutes uh, for the segment. She contended her brother did obey the officer's commands, yet he still lost his life. She said, quote, I saw Trayvon Martin. I saw Mike Brown, I saw Philando Castile, you know, I saw Tamir Rice, but never in a thousand years would my family, uh, would we have thought that we would be on their side, uh, on their side of it. And my brother now, according to social media, is another hashtag. She went on to say, my brother's dead because she did not pause. My brother is dead because she did not pause. There was absolutely no justification whatsoever with all the backup for Officer Shelby to pull that trigger. No justification whatsoever. Quote unquote. Now Terrence Crutcher, no, I mean now Tiffany Crutcher says she's satisfied with the manslaughter charge filed against Oklahoma, the Oklahoma officer as well. So you'll probably hear more about this. This article comes to us from AtlantaBlackStar.com, written by Tanasia Kenny. April 3rd, 2017. Officer Betty, uh, Officer uh, Betty Shelby blames Terrence Crutcher for his own death. Quote, he caused the situation to occur, end quote. Really. And none, none of the other officers on the scene fired. You were, so, you were so petrified by this black man that you had to open fire. And he's walking away from you. Okay, so let's go to some of your comments here quickly. Then we're going to talk about the uh, live webinar that I'm doing uh, tomorrow. I mean Thursday. Thursday. Uh, okay. Black symbols to keep up the good work. All right, thanks. Now, this is not feeding me the comments on the computer, so I have to look on the phone. 
uh, Melody Foster, so thanks for caring. Herbert Whitehead, I'm still waiting to hear what the brother did wrong, except have car issues. Why did she even feel the need to draw her weapon? She saw she saw she saw a scary black man acting erratically, and it, and this scared her. Okay, Morris Reed said, "Are you saying black people in America will always be victims? We as black people will continue to allow uh, children to be victimized by racism." Uh, Betty Lamptey, I expect this in America is not new. We shouldn't be surprised; it's a norm. Um, it may be a norm, but it's not. It would. It may be a norm, but it's not right, and we should not accept it. See, see, it's one thing when white supremacy tries to impose something on you as normality. It is a problem when you actually buy into that and think that it's actually normal and accept that. So it's it's and, and also. An abnormality can become normality, but it does not mean that it's right, and it does not mean it should be accepted. Uh, Nicole McNeil said we must realize this and combat these fallacies behind our uh, criminally behind our, our criminally supported images on TV, videos, and especially news feeds. Uh, Daniel Gorgi said in the system of white supremacy is always black guilt, white innocence. Nicole McNeil said purpose of the news media is to evoke emotion, period. Uh, this is called tanking the jury. This is where media bias comes in. Uh, Cynthia Clay said this was also true for people during Katrina. The whites were said to have found food and water, but for some uh, someone of color, they were said to have looted in order to get food and water. Yeah, I, I remember when that happened also. Uh, Daryl Jones said, it's a shame that black men can constantly find down by police and never be charged, I think shot down by police is what you're saying. Uh, how do we solve it? It's definitely uh, unacceptable. Uh, well, there, there, there are a number of different things. First of all, the mayor of a city um, sets the tone for policing in the city and sets the tone for what's going to be uh, tolerated. The police chief, who's usually appointed by the mayor, enforce the tone of policing that's set by the mayor. Sometimes it will also be set by the city council, but the city council usually does not appoint the mayor. I mean, the city council usually does not appoint the police chief, that's the mayor, okay? Uh, then also you have to have uh, uh, county prosecutors who will prosecute police. So when we saw uh, Anita Alvarez, Cook County State's Attorney, who handled Chicago, um, we saw that uh, in the case of Officer Jason Van Dyke, 
who shot and killed Laquan McDonald, shot him 16 times. 14 of the shots occurred when Laquan McDonald was on the ground. We saw it took her 400 days to actually bring charges against Officer Jason Van Dyke, even though all the evidence was on the video, which they had. So in, in Chicago, what they did was they ran uh, attorney Kim Fox, who's African-American, against uh, Anita Alvarez, and largely because of that, and also uh, Anita Alvarez was also the attorney, the, the, the uh, district attorney that prosecuted uh, in, in another case, uh, for, I forgot her name, uh, it's an African-American woman who was shot by an off-duty police officer, shot and killed. Uh, I forgot her name. It'll come to me. So they realize that they also don't, it's not just important to vote for a mayor, it's not just important to vote for city council, but you got to vote for county prosecutors and, and run your own candidates and run somebody that's going to be a good candidate for a county prosecutor who's going to uphold the law who is going to also prosecute police officers when necessary. And this is what they did, and Kim Fox ended up winning, okay? So you also, they, they, so the, the, the mass protests, things like this, they have their purpose. But you also have to engage politically, okay? And make sure that you're, number one, voting for the right people in office, just like uh, in, 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 in Chicago. Right, February 24, 2015, I think it was. Um, you had the primary of the mayoral election. Now, all these African Americans complaining about how bad Mayor Rahm Emanuel was. Okay, you had 700,000 African Americans registered to vote, only 150,000 came out and voted in the primary. So you had Mayor Rahm Emanuel, you had Jesus Chuy Garcia, who was a challenger, and you had another uh, challenger, first name Willie, African-American, I forgot his last name. Okay, so based upon, based upon the uh, laws in Chicago, um, if uh, one candidate does not get 50% uh, of the vote or more than 50% of the vote, there's a runoff, okay? African-Americans... Had, you had enough registered African Americans to vote Mayor Rahm Emanuel out of office, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. So he ended up getting back in office. Then they released the Laquan McDonald case, the tape. Then they released, released the, yeah, Willie Wilson was his name. Then they released the Laquan McDonald video. All hell breaks loose in Chicago. You have mass protests. People shutting down traffic, things like this, right? And, and 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 people were calling for Mayor Rahm Emanuel to resign from office. We saw that we saw the coverage. MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. We saw the coverage. When they had the chance, when they had the chance, and the votes to vote him out of office, they didn't do it. So people don't take you seriously. People really don't take you seriously when you don't show up to vote because because elected officials one of the things they fear the most is being voted out of office especially in a landslide 
that's humiliating. And when and when they have a massive uprising of people coming to fire them, coming to fire them, this is something they fear. Okay? They also fear FBI investigations, things like this, but they fear, but they fear being voted out of office. That's humiliating, especially if it's a landslide. Okay? And people are just pissed off, pissed off at them. Because the other thing is, they have to think, wait a second, I still have to live in this town after this election. Sometimes they'll leave the town because it's, it's just so tense, okay? And people are so outraged. But other, but other people understand the power of voting. It's not just voting, but voting is one of the ingredients when you make a salad. A salad is not just lettuce with salad dressing on it. You have tomatoes and green bell peppers and cucumbers and, and, and onions and things like this. So it's, it's an ingredient, it's a powerful tool when used correctly. You also have to implement targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategies, economic boycotts, economic withdrawal strategies. You should target the white-owned banks, Wells Fargo and Chase Bank and, and, and uh, Allied Bank, um, uh, things like this. And withdraw your economic support. Close those bank accounts at those banks. Shift money over to African-American-owned banks. Shift money over to credit unions. Have economic boycotts of the sports teams, the, the, the baseball teams and basketball teams and football teams and hockey if they have it. Stop buying their, stop buying their merchandise. Stop buying their jerseys. Turn off the damn TV. Don't watch their games. Post on social media that you're having blackouts of their games. Encourage people not to go to the games. Don't buy tickets. Don't buy season tickets. Don't buy scout tickets. Have economic withdrawal strategies of the sports teams because these sports teams are in bed with the political leadership in those cities because they've gotten tax breaks to build multi-million dollar uh, uh, stadiums on the backs of the taxpayers. Okay, they are in, in practically every city across the country. When you have the when you have these sports teams, they're in bed with the elected officials. Okay, so you start redistributing the pain to them. Now today is April fourth, two thousand seventeen. This is the forty ninth anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. King told us. Uh, in his last speech, April 3rd, 1968, he said, we, he said that we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. He said we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. Okay, which means when you have mass protests, when you have Black Lives Matter protests, we'll come to the story about Black Lives Matter in a minute. When you have Black Lives Matter protests, you also have to have targeted, sustained, economic boycotts, economic withdrawal strategies to redistribute the pain of those inflicting pain upon use and it weakens them uh, and allows you to push your allows you to push your agenda to them and really get something accomplished. If you look at what just happened in North Carolina, North Carolina just passed a bill to alter their uh, bathroom bill now, for the LGBT community, they said it didn't give them all what they wanted. But it altered the bathroom bill, right, that was targeted towards transgender people, 
Why did they do this? Because the state of North Carolina has lost $3.7 billion in revenue behind economic boycotts from various corporations and, and, and singers and things like this that won't perform, etc. They lost $3.7 billion. That's economic withdrawal strategies. Okay, we need to study this because it was African Americans who helped popularize economic boycotts. Now we act like we don't have a history in it. The, we, we were the ones who, who popularized and used economic withdrawal strategies. Now we are like, we don't have a history. Now we are like, we don't know what that is. And other people are using economic withdrawal strategies. You go back to March of 2015, Indiana, Governor Mike Pence, who's now the punk-ass vice president, he signed into law the Indiana Religious Freedom Law. What happened? All hell broke loose. Corporations said that they were either uh, going to uh, uh, withdraw economic support from the state of Indiana. They were either, they they were uh, very concerned about what was going on. They were going to cancel new plans for uh, new plants and new business ventures in Indiana. The state of Connecticut uh, banned business travel to the state of Indiana in CAA. They banned business travel. You had all this economic withdrawal from the state of Indiana in a little more than a week a little more than a, in a little more than a week they changed the law and fixed it because of the economic withdrawal you had nine conventions nine conventions that threatened to cancel the conventions being held in the state of Indiana Gen Con which is like the largest gaming convention in the country Gen Con was one of them you had one convention that did cancel it cost the state of Indiana $500,000. This just happened two years ago. This is targeted economic withdrawal strategies. Now, with African Americans, what we have to understand is that we have to value ourselves and uh, the futures of our children more than the trinkets that they're trying to sell us. We have to value ourselves and the futures of our children more than the trinkets in the merchandise that they're trying to sell us. And you have targeted economic withdrawal strategies. It doesn't work to just say, we're not going to spend any money this day. That is, that, no, you, it, has, it has to be targeted. If you go and study the economic boycotts that Reverend Jesse Jackson had in the late 80s and early 1990s, they were very, very successful. Coca-Cola, 1981. Burger King. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Mitsubishi, Texaco, very successful. But when they did them, they didn't do, they didn't have these boycotts all at one time. They were targeted to a specific corporation, and they went one after another after another. You, we have to study what worked as opposed to just dealing with theory. I'm not dealing with theory. I'm, I've studied what has worked. Okay, I, I, I don't care about theory. I'm, I'm focused on what works, what has worked. The, the, when we when we develop plans like this one right here, have you all downloaded this? Because a lot of people say we need a plan, we need a plan. Okay, this is a viable plan right here. This is from the Congressional Black Caucus. It's called "We Have a Lot to Lose: Solutions to Advance Black Families in the 21st Century." We have a lot to lose: Solutions to Advance Black Families in the 21st Century. Okay, download this, 
from Roland Martin's website, RolandSMartin.com. RolandSMartin.com. Okay? We have a lot to lose. Because this is a deep plan. I've been going through it. Uh, I talked about it last last week, Sunday, on my show, the African History Network show. Uh, you can listen to all the podcasts. We have to upload the podcast from last Sunday because they were late. The station was late in sending it to me, so I'll probably upload that tomorrow. All right. Now, you got to tell you, okay, so uh, RolandSMartin.com, Roland, uh, R-O-L-A-N-D, RolandSMartin.com, uh, download, uh, We Have a Lot to Lose. Okay, we'll post it right here. We have a lot to lose. This is the now. This is the plan. It's a 125-page plan. This is the agenda, the plan that um, the Congressional Black Caucus presented to Donald Trump March 22nd, 2017, when they met with Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, and others. This is the agenda they presented to. Okay. Now, this is not an, just an agenda to present to somebody else. This is an agenda for African-Americans to download. You can download this for free. Now, I downloaded it. I wasn't going to print it at home. I took, it, I took this to the printer, got it printed up, got it wire-bound because I'm studying this. This is something that every African-American organization can take elements from and adopt to push their agenda to get something tangible in exchange for their votes to actually make actually make a, a real difference, actually make some progress, okay? Download this, then also download this one. Now, this, people are using this right now all across the country. It's called Indivisible. Indivisible. A practical guide for resisting the Trump agenda, okay? So people say we need to organize, organize. People, thousands of people all across the country are organizing based upon this. They organize uh, January 21st when they had the women's march uh, all across the country and in, in Washington DC they had a million people a lot of those organizations that, that that came to that event a lot of them organized based upon this document right here the people who uh, were protesting about the um, uh, people who were protesting uh, uh, regarding uh, Obama the repeal of Obamacare a lot of those people they organized based upon this document here, Indivisible, okay? Now this Indivisible, you can download this from Indivisible Guide, G-U-I-D-E, IndivisibleGuide.com, IndivisibleGuide.com. This was put together by former, con by former congressional staffers, okay? And what they did was they looked at the strategies that the Tea Party used against President Obama, and they crafted this agenda for people to use strategies against Donald Trump and to stop what Donald Trump is doing. Okay? A practical guide for resisting the Trump agenda. Indivisible. People are using this all across the country. Okay? So, you can't say, oh, we don't have a plan. We don't have a plan. No, we have a plan. We've had other plans. Dr. Claude Anderson has plans in Black Labor, White Wealth. The, uh, Dr. Chancellor Williams had a plan in the. Uh, the destruction of black civilization but this plan right here this is a viable plan and this and in every african-american organization can take elements from this to create a powerful agenda and what happens is you have to push this agenda all these african-american organizations 
across the country. You push this agenda on a local, state, and national level. It's not just to the president. It's at a local level, city council, uh, uh, mayor, okay, uh, county, the county commissioner, county executives, state legislature, governor, U.S. Senate, U.S. House of Representatives, president. You push it at all levels. So the groundswell comes from the base. It comes from the bottom up, pushing agendas that will benefit the African-American community. Okay, so this Thursday, April 6th, we're doing a uh, live webinar. Uh, it's the first installment of an eight-hour, uh, four-day course. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding this transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school okay you may have seen uh we posted some information on our facebook fan page the african history network the past few days about it so you may you may have seen something about it um so it is um it's a fantastic course and we deal with uh the transatlantic slave trade chronologically we try to deal with it chronologically not episodically um, and when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade, we can't start in 1619, um, August 20, 1619, with African people shackled and chained in Jamestown, Virginia. We can't start in 1441 when Prince Henry, the navigator uh, of, of Portugal, is sending ships around the uh, west coast of Africa and they're picking up slaves. We deal with, first of all, the fact that African people have been in this land called the United States of America at least 51,700 years, okay? And this was our land taken away from us, okay? We deal with, we, we, we deal with that. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. The Khoisan, we're, we're here in the U.S. You have a, a presence from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt here in the U.S. as well, going back thousands of years. African people were here before Native Americans came into existence. You have Asians who come to this country around 3000 BC and the Africans and the Asians intermix their offsprings of who we call Native Americans. So we deal, we deal with that history. We deal with ancient Kemet, we deal some with ancient Nubia or Ta-Nehisi, Ethiopia, things like this. Then we deal with the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. Because you have to understand how, what the Moors introduce into Europe. These Africans known as the Moors who are descendants of the Garamantes. They're coming from North Africa and Northwest Africa. Uh, they're gonna go into the Iberian Peninsula, today known as Spain and Portugal in 711 AD, okay? And uh, they're going to civilize Europe. They introduce alchemy, something they, they call alchemy, which today we call chemistry. They introduce soap and alcohol, all different types of foods, different types of musical instruments. They're going to in introduce spherical globes and almanacs, okay? Uh, they're going to uh, teach a lot of Europeans how to read and write because at the time they go in, about 85 to 90% of Europeans were functionally illiterate. They were illiterate. They couldn't read or write a lot of them. We had kings and queens who couldn't read and write. Even in 1600, King James Stuart I, who in 1600 commissioned his version of the Bible to be written, he was illiterate as well, okay? So you're going to uh, have this take place and the Moors are going to introduce nautical instruments as well, okay? 
uh, and the the, the uh, nautical instruments that Columbus was using on his four voyages were based upon Moorish technology that the Moors introduced into Europe. Remember, the Moors were going to reintroduce the concept of longitude and latitude. And Columbus is important to study because Columbus lays the foundation. It's Columbus and his four voyages. So he set sail August 3rd, 1492 on the Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. He's looking for gold and silver and spices, minerals, things like this to rebuild Europe because Europe, to rebuild Spain, I should say, rebuild Spain. <laughs> He's conquering these lands in, for Spain. Queen Isabella, King Ferdinand. Europe is coming out of the dark ages. They're trying to rebuild. They lost between one quarter to one third of their population during the bubonic plague, the Black Death. And the Black Death hits from 1347 to 1400 in spurts. They, the, Europe loses somewhere between 25 million and 75 million people. Europe is devastated. And these European nations are trying to rebuild. And Columbus's four voyages, he goes into Jamaica and Haiti and Cuba, Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, uh, Panama, Honduras. His, his voyages opens up the so-called New World to all these other European nations to come in and, and fight over these lands and exploit the people, take control of the natural resources, etc. And, and Columbus and his four voyages laid a foundation for slavery, racism, capitalism, the exploitation of indigenous people, etc. Okay? So, and, and then this is going to fuel the transatlantic slave trade. The transatlantic slave trade have already started because it goes back to the 1440s. And the Portuguese were the first ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade. They dominated for the first 200 years, okay? But the Spanish are going to be closely behind them. And you're going to see the, the Spanish and the, and the Portuguese were constantly fighting one another over these new lands that they were so-called discovering, okay? So this is what we're going to deal with in the... Uh, webinar. It's a live international webinar. You can tune in from around the world. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. It starts this Thursday, <coughs> April 6th. It's going to be four consecutive Thursdays. It's 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Um, the uh, cost of the uh, live webinar is only $40. That covers all four sessions, okay? It's four sessions, four consecutive Thursdays, two hours each, total of eight hours. I have a ton of information to cover. That's why it's eight hours, okay? You'll also get, at the end of the course, I'm going to mail you my DVD lecture, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach in the school. That's a four-and-a-half-hour presentation, okay? So... We have the information here. Uh, we posted it here on the thread. You can uh, register uh, uh, register there. You can also go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have the information right on the home page. Go ahead and register for it. And also we have a, a preview that you can watch as well. We have a preview of the live webinar that you can watch also, okay? But my, my approach to the transatlantic slave trade is different because you have to understand a chronology of history. Historical events don't happen in a vacuum. They are a sequence, they are the result of a sequence of other historical events taking place that have a domino effect and lead up to a particular event happening, okay? 
So, um, you know, I'm, I'm running, a, I'm already running a section of the class now. People are really learning a lot. People are really enjoying it. But uh, you can register for that now. <coughs> um, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We posted the uh, information here on the thread. Also, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Okay. All right. Uh, let me get to the story here about uh, Black Lives Matter because it's getting late. And I'm trying to copy this. Okay, here we go. Uh, somebody said they pulled, they uh, skimmed the outline. Uh, no, it's not trash. It's not the same old, same old. You have to actually read it, Herbert. Is not trash. I've been going through reading this. I know I know plans when I see them. I know good plans when I see them. It's not trash at all. You should do more research before you make comments like this. It's not the same old same old. Show me show me show me another plan from elected officials that's this detailed like this. Show show me another plan. I'll wait. I'll wait while you come up with that answer. Show me another plan from other African American elected officials that they put together something this detailed. Not only that, in the if you actually read in the back, they have supporting articles and documentation to support what they're doing, okay? This is why you have to do your research, all right? So what they did was, first, they lay out some history about African Americans because, uh, no, it's not trash. I asked you a direct question. Prove, prove that this is trash. What, what other, African-American elected officials have presented a plan this detailed. Where is it? Show me. Who did it? Where's the evidence? I have not seen one. Okay? Now, the first thing they did was laid out some history about African-Americans. They deal with slavery. They deal with Reconstruction, the Great Migration, the Great Depression, the New Deal, World War II, Jim Crow, the Civil Rights Era. Why is that important? Because a lot of people you present this information to don't necessarily know the history of African Americans. This stuff in here that a lot of African Americans don't know about the, about their own history. Okay, so the the, re, the 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 conditions and predicaments that we are in are based upon historical occurrences, based upon past laws and policies based upon 246 years of slavery, which was the law of the land, which maldistributed wealth, power, and resources into the hands of the dominant white society. So you have to lay out some of this history that puts you in the predicament to then justify the solutions that you're providing for, okay? So then, after they lay out some of the history, then they deal with page 17, they start laying out solutions, okay? They deal with voting rights and voter disenfranchisement and the gutting of the, civil, of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 by the 2013 Supreme Court decision of Shelby versus Holder, okay? All right, so Herbert Whitehead still did not answer my question. He said 125 pages, not detailed first off, and yes, I know history. It is very detailed. But when you present a plan to somebody, when you present a plan to somebody, you can't present an 800-page book because they ain't going to read all that stuff. It is very detailed. You still didn't answer my question. What other African-American elected officials have presented a plan this detailed? 
How much of this plan did you read? You said you skimmed through it. How much of this plan did you read? And also, Herbert, where's your plan? Where's your plan, Herbert? Where, where, where's your plan? If this is trash, where's your plan? If you don't have one, just say you don't have one. So then they go through, they deal with voting rights and the impact that the but voter suppression has had on African Americans. They lay, they lay out that, they deal with the problems, then they lay out solutions, like restore the full protection of the Voting Rights Act, challenge attempts to disenfranchise voters, end modern day poll taxes, voter identification laws are a solution to a, a, a solution in search of a problem. Countless studies show instances of credible voter fraud are so small that represent less than 1% of the millions of ballots cast. The uh, incentivized automatic voter registration, online registration, same-day registration, and expand the use of absentee ballots. Restore the voting rights of ex-offenders. This is huge. Restore the... Hey, Herbert, I'm still waiting on you to present your plan. I'm still waiting on you to present your plan, Herbert. I'm still waiting. You didn't answer my first question either. I'm still waiting on you to present your plan. Restore the voting rights of ex-offenders. This is huge. Okay, you have more than 6 million Americans who are unable to vote because of past criminal conviction. Now, I've studied this in the past, and about half of those who can't vote in this country are African American because of, because, because of past criminal conviction. About half are African American. So, when you over-police over African Americans, right, when you over-incarcerate and, and, and put felonies on them, things like this, you can automatically eliminate millions of people from being able to vote okay so you okay so so Herbert what you're saying is you don't have a plan so you're negatively criticizing somebody else's plan which is better than yours because you don't have one okay I got it so more than six million Americans are unable to vote because of a past criminal conviction of that population almost five million are living and working in our communities without the full rights of their citizenship. Restoring voting rights of ex-offenders will bring them into the full fold of civic engagement and encourage their participation as productive members of our society. Okay? Fully fund and staff the Civil Rights Division of the Election Assistance Commission. Make Election Day a mandatory federal holiday. So each one of these, each one of these solutions, they give more supporting information. But in the back, which Herbert probably has not read, in the back, they have supporting documentation for each one of these sections also. So you can go do more research and make a better argument. They have supporting documentation. So when you're pushing this at a local level, when you're pushing this at a, at a, at a state level, you can provide supporting evidence. Okay? So... Uh, Lynette Black said, where are these reports? Go to, go to RolandSMartin.com, RolandSMartin.com. You can download it there. This is, we have a lot to lose. We have a lot to lose. Solutions to advance black families in the 21st century. We have a lot to lose. Solutions, okay? Some people want to do a criticism, not provide no solutions. See, they, they didn't want, want to criticize on damn time. Not provide solutions. You have people say, we need a plan, we need a plan. Then they present a plan. Oh, that ain't no damn plan. That ain't nothing. Where's your plan? I'll wait. All right, let's keep going. Then they deal with criminal justice reform. Okay? 
And they started out talking about President Richard Nixon's war on drugs. Started June 17, 1971. They deal with, and they, and they talk about, they, they say the CBC calls on the Trump administration to recognize the persistent discrimination against African Americans throughout the nation's troubled history and employ policies and practices to restore these communities. So they lay out the problems with the criminal justice, criminal justice uh, uh, system, right? And then they lay out solutions. The CBC supports end-to-end -end reform of our criminal justice system, including policing reform, prisoner reentry support, and every facet in between, okay? So they talk about build the bonds between policing and the communities they serve through comprehensive policing reform. Donald Trump is not talking about policing reform. He's not talking about holding police accountable, anything like this, okay? All right, so uh, they, they deal with ending racial profiling, maintain federal supervision of state and local police departments. The Department of Justice must hold state and local departments accountable through oversight investigations and consent decrees. Attorney General Sessions should commit to using the full force of the law and resources available to him to raise the standard of policing practices and providing independent federal investigations uh, whenever and wherever justice requires. Now, if you read the article that we posted um, uh, on our fan page today, the African History Network, you read the article we posted here, um, they, uh, Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, segregationist from Alabama, actually from Selma, Alabama, right, where Bloody Sunday took place March 7, 1965. Um, he said that, uh, let's see, Washington Post has a story today. Uh, Sessions orders Justice Department to review all police reform agreements, okay? Now, he said that uh, a, couple, a few weeks ago, um, the Department of Justice backed off of the consent decree with, Balt with the Baltimore Police Department and the Chicago Police Department. Chicago Police Department is one of the most corrupt police departments in the country. And we've had a history of corruption. Um, he's not a fan of consent decrees. He said that he has not read the, read the consent decrees, but he basically feels that they're anecdotal. He is, he does not talk about police reform. He does not talk about holding police accountable, anything like that. He echoes Donald Trump, which is why Donald Trump picked him as his attorney general. Now, in this, in this article here from the Washington Post from today, from yesterday, April 3rd, yesterday now, Attorney General Jeff Sessions ordered Justice Department officials to review reform agreements with troubled police forces nationwide saying it was necessary to ensure these pacts do not work against the Trump administration's goals of promoting officer safety and morale while fighting violent crime. Okay, but see, Donald Trump's goal is law and order. <clears throat> Donald Trump's goal is law and order. Donald Trump's goal is not holding police accountable. Donald Trump does not want to deal with implicit bias in policing. On the campaign trail, uh, uh, Mike Pence said that he and Donald Trump would, felt that there was too much talk about implicit bias. They don't even want to acknowledge that implicit bias is a problem in policing. 
Okay? Now, in a two-page memo released on Monday, uh, Sessions said agreements reached previously between the department's Civil Rights Division and local departments, a key legacy of the Obama administration, will be subject to review by his two top deputies, throwing in the question of whether all of their agreements will stay in place. Because he's against these agreements. The memo was released not so long not long before the department civil rights lawyers asked a federal judge to postpone until at least the end of June a hearing on sweeping police reform agreement known as consent known as a consent decree with the Baltimore Police Department that was announced just 2 days before President Trump took office. Okay? Read this article here <clears throat> because this is an example how elections have consequences. Okay, now the Black Lives Matter activists who said that people should not vote for Hillary Clinton and they weren't going to vote for Hillary Clinton, who the hell do you think was going to be president? If Hillary, if Hillary Clinton did not become president, who would you think was going to become president? You, you thought Jill Stein was going to become president? Jill Stein is working for Vladimir Putin. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Oh yeah, Jill Stein's working for Vladimir Putin. We've dealt with this before. Okay? Consent decrees are not benign neglect towards African Americans. I don't know where you're getting your information from, Herbert. They're not benign neglect towards African Americans. Not at all. You should, you should study the consent decrees and the reforms that are being put in place. The reforms that the Baltimore Police Department agreed to are going to cost between 75 to $100 million to implement. And this is one of the city council people. Uh, who's pretty prominent there in Baltimore uh, estimated this, okay? But you have changes in laws, changes in the policies that will benefit the people who are being victimized by the police. That's not benign neglect. I don't know where you're getting your information from. I don't know where you're getting your information from, Herbert, but it's, it's uh, wh whoever gave you that information, I sure as hell hope you didn't pay for it because it's, it's, it's not accurate, okay? Um, so, so read this. And, and Herbert, when you get your plan posted, I'm still waiting on your plan, Herbert. You're doing a lot of talking. You still haven't presented a plan. Now, um, and see, and, and, and I've talked about this before, because um, when the Fraternal Order of Police endorsed Donald Trump for president, and there was news articles about this, when the Fraternal Order of Police, um, no, you didn't get your information from the same place I do. Because because if you got if you got your information from the same place I did, you you would come with the same conclusion. I have ten thousand articles in my research database. You did not get your same information. You did not get your information from the same place I did. Don't even try that. Don't even try that. I have ten thousand articles in my in my personal research database. So you ain't get it from the same place I did. All right. Um, I'm very familiar with the history of this country. I'm very familiar with the history of this country. And my teachers are Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamenei, Dr. Linda Jeffries, Professor James Small. Those are some of my personal teachers. I'm very familiar with the history of this country. Okay, so Black Lives News1.com and NBC News, uh, they have a couple articles from uh, yesterday, April 3rd, um, NBC News, April 2nd. 
uh, in Black in uh, NewsOne.com April third. Black Lives Matter activists shift focus to state capitals. Black Lives Matter activists shift focus to state capitals. Now this goes back to these two documents, all right? These two plans, right? That everybody's going to download except Herbert. Um, now this one here, Indivisible Guide, people using this all across the country and getting results from it. Go to IndivisibleGuide.com, IndivisibleGuide.com, right? And then this one, we have a lot to lose. We have a lot to lose solutions to advance black families in the 21st century. Because Donald Trump asked the question of African Americans, what do you have to lose voting for me? Really? They're about to ramp up the war on drugs. They're about to ramp up the war on drugs. They're about to increase the prison population. Now, what a lot of people didn't know is that the U.S. prison population <coughs> has dropped to its lowest point in 20 years. It, it dropped to its lowest point since 1997. It dropped to 1.53 million. Okay? And um, um, in December 2016, Newsweek.com had an article about this. Um, it got very it got very little media coverage. I talked about this on my show. The US prison population exceeded one and a half million in twenty fifteen. This is from December twenty ninth, twenty sixteen. It says the US prison population failed the most in almost four decades to one point three five million inmates in twenty fifteen, resulting in the lowest rate of incarceration in a generation, the Department of Justice said on Thursday. <clears throat> Read this article. AOL.com also had uh, an article about this as well. Um, AOL had one. Now, the, the study from uh, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, this is why you have to read these studies, because I go and read these studies also. Oftentimes, I read the studies that the articles talk about. U.S. US prison population, uh, what's the name of this? U.S. prison population drops prisoners in 2015, 1.35 million. This is from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, okay? And uh, it says, at year end 2015, an estimated 1.35 million prisoners were held in state and federal facilities across the United States. This was a 2.3% decrease from year end 2014. Okay, you can read this. This is a one-page one um, report from the Bureau adjusted statistics, but the U.S. prison population is the lowest it's been in 20 years. It's the lowest it's been in 20 years, okay? Um, and a lot of that had to do with um, going easy on low-level uh, drug offenders, um, things like this. Now, with under Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump, they're about to ramp that up. They're about to, try, they're about to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law, give them the most time, things like this. The, uh, the article from Newsweek.com says the drop has been driven by changes in federal and state corrections policies that include drug treatment programs, that include drug treatment programs and the sentencing of fewer nonviolent drug offenders to federal prisons, the, uh, the department said in its year-end report on prison population. Okay, thanks, Obama. This, this happened under President Obama. This is not something that's talked about a lot. You had a winding down in the war on drugs under President Obama, but now it's about to escalate. Okay, now it's about to escalate.
Okay, so Black Lives Matter activists shift focus to state capitals. Okay, shift focus to state capitals. Now, according to uh, organizers, uh, people who wish to become more politically involved can have more influence at the state level. <clears throat> they got more influence at the state level than at the national level. Okay, um, let's post this article here from Newsweek.com. Because that's something that a lot of people don't know. All right, so uh, Black Lives Matter activists are launching a new initiative to shift the movement's focus to state capitals, the Associated uh, Press reported. Uh, people who wish to become <coughs> more politically involved have the potential of greater influence at the state level, according to organizers, okay? And, and this is true to a large extent. National level is important. You, you, your two U.S. senators that each state has, your members of the U.S. House of Representatives, that's extremely important also, okay? But at the state level, the state, um, a, lot of, a lot of the problems that people complain about are based upon state law. Right now, you have about 19 states. Right now, you have about 19 states that are contemplating, contemplating passing legislation that attacks protesters and makes it harder for people to protest. Okay, and they're and they're implementing laws. These, this is this this is led by Republicans, implementing laws to punish protesters. Also, in many cases, now, uh, as the Associated Press reports, uh, Republicans currently hold 33 governor offices, 33 governorships, as well as majorities in 33 state legislatures. Now, Republicans also control. The, the, the Republicans also have control over the governor's office and state legislature in 25 states, giving state Republicans more room to shape laws surrounding abortion, taxes, gun rights, and more. Okay? Now, uh, the website is called OurStates.org. OurStates.org. And this website illustrates a trend of Democrats and left-leaning groups placing their eye on state houses, okay? Now, the Associated Press said, quote, despite the movement's national presence, referring to Black Lives Matter, it, it has not concentrated on engaging and resisting what state legislatures are doing to essentially implement the same agenda. And this was said by Sam uh, Sayangwe, uh, who's, a data, who's a data scientist with the project. He's also a co-founder <clears throat> Sam is a co-founder of um, um, what's the name of it? Um, community um, uh, campaign zero. He's a co-founder of campaign zero. I've interviewed Sam Sinyangwe uh, before. Uh, now he said, uh, if we don't engage on the state level, many of the same rights we're fighting to protect will be restricted at the local level anyway. He said if we don't engage on the state level, many of the same rights we're fighting to protect will be restricted at the local level anyway. Now users visiting the site can choose categories and click on states to learn more about pending legislation. It has a guide for influencing lawmakers, directing people to ask for in-person meetings, present 
specific demands and track the uh, progress of legislation. The site also suggests conducting protests in lawmakers' offices to apply pressure and get their attention. And this is something that you saw with uh, the attempted repeal of Obamacare. Okay? They were having protests uh, outside, and, and, and people were organizing based upon indivisible. They were having protests outside of uh, their state legislature, not state legislature, um, uh, members of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate offices. You had some people occupying the offices or waiting outside the offices for meetings, all these types of things like this. Total engagement. You, you saw a total uprising across the country, okay, behind Obamacare. I saw very little African Americans involved, however. I saw very little African Americans involved, however. I guess they're waiting for a goddamn plan to fall out the damn sky, okay? Well, you got one now. I guess they're just waiting for a plan to fall out. Where is it? Where is it? Have you seen it? I think they're just waiting for a plan to fall out the sky. All right? Okay, so. Now, um, Brian Robinson, who's a Republican strategist, and former assistant chief of uh, for for Georgia Governor Nathan Deal says Black Lives Matter activists quote could make inroads with GOP lawmakers end quote depending on how they go about it. Um, he said uh, quote if the goals are partisan, hot button issues, the outcome is going to be no political or policy progress. If Republicans are approached in a respectable manner on issues that could have bipartisan consensus, they can make headway, but they but they got to be civil, okay? Uh, he, uh, he also noted that activists must, quote, be serious and have doable incremental goals if they want, uh, he said, if what they want to do is demonize Republican leaders, they'll be ignored, okay? So check out the article from the news1.com, Black Lives Matter activists shift focus to state capitals. Black Lives Matter activists shift focus to state capitals, okay? And then in the article from uh, new, uh, NBC News, NBCnews.com, um, uh, they say uh, in the article, um, the imbalance of power gives state Republicans greater ability to shape laws as they pursue an agenda that includes proposals on abortion, unions, taxes, gun rights, and school choice. These are all issues that African Americans are concerned about. Now, in light of the Black Lives Matter movement, GOP lawmakers in several states want to crack down on protesters and challenge sanctuary cities that have resisted efforts uh, to step up enforcement of immigration laws. Black Lives Matter supporters are also being encouraged to back legislation in line with their personal agendas and that of the movement, including requiring police departments to report data on hate crimes, requiring officers to undergo bias training or implicit bias training, and preventing police unions from making it harder to investigate officer misconduct. Okay? These are all pertinent issues. Okay? Now, in addition to this activism, if you don't get your black ass out and vote, they'll ignore you because they know you're safe. They know you're just going to make some noise. If you don't exercise your right to fire their behinds, if you don't exercise your right to fire and hire, 
they'll ignore you. Because the people who the people who get the attention are the ones who not just not just protest and push agendas, but they also back that up with their voting power and actually vote people out of office and hire people. Okay? So this is what we have to understand. This is what we have to understand as well. And it is not just protesting. Protesting has its purpose, but it's not just protesting. Okay? Now, um, Henry Malcolm on Facebook said dropping prison pop should be a positive for the politicals, but being business greedy, they are not pleased. Now they want to arrest innocent on legal paperwork. Well, you had a change in administrations. That's what happened. You had a change in administrations. This is something I warn people about. See, uh, Civic, who used to be called Corrections Corporation of America, the largest owner-operated privatized prison in the country, Civic and Geo Group, which used to be Wacken Hut, they donated almost $600,000 to Donald Trump's campaign because Donald Trump is very pro-privatized prison. Hillary Clinton was going to be study her criminal justice reform program. She was moving. She was going to continue the move away from uh, using privatized prisons because the Obama administration was moving away from using privatized prisons for federal prisoners. She she was going to continue that. And you read, she had a, a criminal justice reform program. Donald Trump was not talking about criminal justice reform on the campaign trail. <clears throat> He's an advocate of privatized prisons. And in March of 2016, he was interviewed on MSNBC by Chris Matthews, and he said that privatized prisons seem to work very well and they seem to save money. That's not true at all. They don't save money, and, and they have more uh, uh, complaints about violations, uh, uh, more violence, sexual violations, all different types of things like this at privatized prisons. They don't work better. Okay, now, this last story, oh, okay, so we have the uh, webinar coming up April 6th, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This is a live international webinar. You can tune in from around the world. Um, it's uh, eight hours. It's uh, four consecutive Thursdays. It starts uh, Thursday, April 6th, um, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Okay. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we posted the information here on the thread. Uh, you can sign up for it. It's also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And um, it, the, the, each session is recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over and over again. <clears throat> each section is recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over and over again as well. Okay. Uh, cost of the webinar is only $40. Uh, so we have information here on the thread. You can register, and uh, the information is also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can also watch a preview of uh, the webinar as well. So we have the information here on the thread. Tell your friends about this also. It's going to blow them away. And uh, we deal with we do the transatlantic slave trade. We deal with it chronologically. We deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. We deal with the impact that Christopher Columbus had on the slave trade as well. We deal with African people being indigenous to this land. We deal with a lot of history, okay? So that's why it's in four sessions. That's why it's eight hours, because we deal with a lot of history here. You also get uh, a 
at the end of the class, you get a copy of my DVD presentation, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. You get a copy of that also, okay? All right. Um, let's go back to this. Uh, uh, let's go to this last article here. And let me post this here. Okay, uh, let's see. Okay, so Tina Fey, we, we saw Tina, we, we, uh, a lot of us first uh, learned about Tina Fey from um, Saturday, Saturday Night Live, right? And remember Tina Fey uh, doing um, Sarah Palin as well. She did a really good Sarah Palin. Okay, really good Sarah Palin. Uh, well, Tina Fey was interviewed um, on Facebook Live for a fundraiser for the American Civil Liberties Union. The American Civil Liberties Union. And um, Tina Fey uh, called out white women who uh, voted for Donald Trump. Okay, she called out white women who voted for Donald Trump. And just a second, I'm trying to uh, copy and paste this. Just a second here. Okay, so uh, theroot.com has an article about this. Uh, Tina Fey calls out her white sisters who voted for Trump. And she said, You can't look away. You can't look away. Okay? <clears throat> now, um, she she was talking specifically to white college-educated women who voted for Donald Trump um, and helped give him the presidency. Something else that helped give Donald Trump the presidency is Vladimir Putin and Russian hackers. And more information is coming out about the thousand botnets that they had targeting uh, certain uh, Facebook pages and targeting people with uh, articles, a lot of these fake news articles that were pro-Donald Trump, anti-Hillary Clinton, things like this, okay? All this information is coming up, coming out. Now, I was talking about some of this um, uh, some months ago because Wall Street, uh, uh, Washington Post had a big article uh, about, about that as well. Um, but she said, let me, let me post this right quick, hold on. Okay. Okay, she said, uh, a lot of this election was turned by white college-educated women who now would like to forget about this election and go back to watching H HGTV, okay? She said, you can't look away because it doesn't affect you this minute, but it's going to affect you eventually. It's going to affect you eventually. Now, Tina Fey made the comments during a panel discussion with Donna, with Donna Lieberman, executive director of the ACLU in New York, and Louise uh, Melling, the ACLU's uh, deputy legal director on Friday. 
Now, uh, Tina Fey went on to say, quote, I personally would like to make my own pledge to college-educated white women to not look away. I personally would like to make my own pledge to college-educated women to not look away, not pretend uh, that, that things uh, that are happening now won't eventually affect me if we don't put a stop to it. Now, the Washington Post reported that 61% of white women without a college degree supported Donald Trump. 61% of white women without a college degree supported Donald Trump, uh, while only 34% of white women without a college degree uh, voted for Hillary Clinton. Now, the surprise, though, was that a bare majority of college-educated white women went for Hillary Clinton. 52% of college-educated white women voted for Hillary Clinton, while 45% of college-educated white women voted for Donald Trump, okay? All right, now, <clears throat> um, Okay, so the, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, who aspired to be the first female president of the United States, needed more of the white college-educated female demographic to put her over the top. She lost Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, three battleground states. She lost by 78,000 votes, collectively, 78,000 votes. Donald Trump got by with, now what put Donald Trump over was voter suppression, voter suppression tactics because of voter ID laws, voter intimidation, and Russian hacking and the interference from Russia, Vladimir Putin, the fake news articles that they were putting in social media, things like this. This is what put Donald Trump over the top. <clears throat> now, black women, uh, uh, okay, so. So Arthur was on to say that, uh, and many black women were very, were, were furious that white women uh, I suppose sisters in the struggle screwed us all. Uh, black women have never labored under the assumption that all womanhood is created equal in a white uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a white world. Uh, the Washington Post reports that white women, as a whole, have supported Republican presidential candidates since Richard Nixon. In 2012, 56% of white women voted for Mitt Romney, while 42% supported Barack Obama. The only exceptions were 1992 and 1996, the two times Bill Clinton won the presidency. Okay, uh, this is proof positive that ju that that just as anti-blackness can come from black folk, uh, anti-womanness can come from those um, uh, can come from those with uh, vaginas, uh, because they didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. A lot of them were operating based upon a, a lot of misinformation and conspiracy theories, things like this. And we see Donald Trump was putting out conspiracy theories, many of them being pushed by Russia as well. Okay, And, and, and this information is coming out. Uh, we saw the U.S. Uh, uh, intelligence uh, uh, senatorial hearings that took place last week. I think they started Friday, last Thursday or Friday. Okay. And uh, you're going to hear more. Uh, you're going to hear more about this. Okay. Um, if if Hillary Clinton had way too much baggage, then what does Donald Trump have? 
see, I, I told people, go read their policies. I actually read their policies. I told people, go to HillaryClinton.com, read her 36 policies, 36 plus policies. Go to DonaldJTrump.com, read his 13, 14 policies he had at the time during the campaign. Her policies were much better than Donald Trump's. Her policies, if you actually read. Now, if you go by misinformation and conspiracy theories and all this nonsense, and the Clinton Cash documentary, which has been thoroughly debunked, the Clinton Cash documentary was put out by Breitbart. Breitbart News put out the Clinton Cash documentary because the Clinton Cash documentary was co-produced by Stephen K. Bannon, who's a white supremacist, white nationalist, and is Donald Trump's uh, chief strategist. That was he was the co-producer of the Clinton Cash documentary. That I heard people quoting all this stuff. Now the first question, I'm in six documentaries. I'm in six documentaries. First thing I tell people is don't go repeat stuff you hear in a documentary until you've gone and researched it and verified it. So the question I ask people that, who, who were repeating this stuff on the Clinton Cash documentary, when did you go research that stuff that, you, that you're repeating and verify that? When did you go do that? Because that documentary and the book Clinton Cash written by Peter Schweitzer who was a senior editor at large for Breitbart, that's been thoroughly debunked numerous times by different news outlets. This is why you have to do research. This is what we do at the African History Network. All right, now if you like the information that we share, uh, you know you can also go to our website, uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All my DVD lectures are there, about 30 of them. 3031 uh, you can order our DVDs uh, we have bundle packs uh, of my DVD lectures also uh, we have uh, the hidden hidden colors family bundle pack as well get all four installments of hidden colors and four of my DVD presentations one low price you can also donate to the African History Network if you like click on the yellow donate button right on the home page you got the information we share with you uh, you can donate to the African History Network also okay uh, so you can go ahead and register for the live webinar we're doing starting Thursday. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Learn how to fact check as well. Uh, Washington Post has some really, really good fact checking. Michelle He, uh, I think it's Michelle He, um, heads up their fact checking at the Washington Post. They have some really, really good fact checking there. They provide you with the sources uh, so you can uh, uh, research the information yourself. Is it Michelle He or Michelle Yee? Which one is it? Uh, I have to look and see. Because I, I get a post every day, but I read the Washington Post um, pretty much every day. Michelle, yeah, Michelle. Michelle Yehe Lee. H E E L E E. Two separate words, yeah. Michelle. Um, I think she heads up the fact checking for Washington Post, but they do some really good fact checking. But um, when they have the presidential debates, things like this, I went and fact checked the statements that they made. Washington Post, New York Times, NBC News, PolitiFact.org, they have fact-checking for, for the statements they made and let you know whether they're truthful or not, provide the evidence of why. 
Okay, you have to research because when you do the when you actually did the fact checking on statements that were made during the campaign during the debates, when you actually did the fact checking, you saw that about eighty eight percent of the time, uh, Hillary Clinton told the truth. With Donald Trump, you saw about seventy eight percent of the time, seventy eight to eighty percent of the time, Donald Trump was lying. When you actually do the fact checking, not based upon how good they sound on stage. Not based upon the size of the crowd or how much the crowd applauded, but when you actually did the fact checking to determine the, the, the veracity and accuracy of what they were saying, over one majority of the time, about 88% of the time, Hillary Clinton told the truth, and about 78% of the time, Donald Trump was lying. And he was just he was just straight up lying, and he's still lying. He's he's still lying. Now at the Washington Post, and we're gonna get out of here in a minute. So I've got to get to bed. Damn, it's three o'clock in the morning. Uh, at the Washington Post, they have something called um, "What Trump Got Wrong." And let me see, what is it called? "What Trump Got Wrong" uh, on Twitter this week. What What Trump Got Wrong on Twitter this week? Okay. And they're doing it for each week each week of his uh, administration. Let me pull up, see if they have a new one. What Trump got wrong on Twitter? Let me see if they have a new one. So I find it very interesting how very few people actually did fact checking of the statements that were made during the campaign of the of the candidates. I find that very interesting. Okay, I'm waiting for uh they haven't put up any new ones. They did the uh through March tenth, they did the seventh week what Trump got wrong on Twitter, but they have other fact checking also of uh Donald Trump uh, the Washington Post Donald Trump. and Donald Trump is keeping fact checkers in, in business also while well, lies he tells as well uh, so yeah you can just go to WashingtonPost.com uh, and just search for fact checking Donald Trump and, and a lot of stuff will come up. Um, let's see, April 4th. Damn, this is new. Fact checking the, the Trumpian spin on surveillance of Trump. Damn, this is the, damn, they just posted this article 20 minutes ago. <coughs> they posted this article at 3 a.m. April 4th. They just posted this article 21 minutes ago. Fact checking the Trumpian, Trumpian spin on surveillance of Trump. Okay. Uh, this is Glenn, Glenn Kessler from Washington Post. He writes some good articles. All right, we got to get out of here. Okay. So go ahead and register for our uh, live webinar, Understanding Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they've been teaching in school. And um, hey, remember, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. 
It's not over till we win. We'll talk to you next time. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Talk to you next time. Peace.